Hey leaders, before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a free event that I'm hosting, your personal leadership audit live workshop. I've put the workshop together because if you want to stand out as an exceptional leader, you have to know yourself inside and out. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses is critical. And for that, you need a high degree of self-awareness and a commitment to self-reflection. Now, if you're committed to unlocking your leadership potential, then working through a self-assessment like this is going to help you to quickly identify a path to higher impact. I'll be leading you through a deep dive into the seven imperatives of my No Bullshit Leadership Framework, so that by the end of the session, you'll know exactly what areas you need to develop if you really want to stand out from the crowd. We're only opening up 150 spots, so register now at yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. That's yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Welcome to episode two of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast, building a high-performing team, aka weak team equals poor results. If you want to be successful as a senior leader, you first have to have the right people on your team. This doesn't happen by accident. In this episode, we focus on building capability at the individual level, and we'll save how to build the team culture and dynamic for another episode. We'll cover off on what actually is a high-performing team. I'm then going to talk about what I believe are the seven characteristics of a high-performing team. There's no doubt 
that high-performing teams start with the individuals that make up that team. And if you as a leader don't commit personally to doing what it takes to get the best people on board, by definition, you simply can't have a high-performing team. So let's get into it. I would love a dollar for every resume I've read or every interview I've held where a person claims to have built a high-performing team. So what is it that defines a high-performing team? Well, as soon as you ask to drill down, people find it really difficult to articulate what a high-performing team actually is, nor can they describe what they did to build it. For most, as a generalisation, it seems to come down to, my team were all happy campers and got on well with each other. So how would you know if you had a high-performing team? And what do the individual performance and behavioural standards look like in a team like that? What's the team dynamic? I once invited Benita Willis to talk to my leadership team about what it actually takes to be world-class. Now, the term world-class is bandied around so often that it's become virtually meaningless. Benita, for those of you who don't know her, is undoubtedly the finest distance runner ever to represent Australia. She knows what it takes to be world-class because she actually was. And the bottom line that she left with us was, you don't just stumble upon world-class performance. It takes an enormous amount of sacrifice, dedication and courage to get there. So why would leadership performance be any different? So just to make sure we're all on the same page and all speaking the same language, what I've done is to develop what I call the seven characteristics of a high-performing team. These are the things that through my observation over the years, I've realised set teams apart. So the high-performing teams actually have these characteristics and other teams simply don't. The first characteristic of a high-performing team is that they get results. And that's regardless of the obstacles and challenges that are in their way, they find a way to make it all work. These are teams that are driven by value, not just driven by activity. And of course, this is another podcast episode in itself. The second characteristic of a high-performing team is that it actually stands out from other teams in the organisation. So it's very, very clear to everyone around that there's something different about this team, something different about the way it's led, and something different about the way it functions. The third characteristic of a high-performing team is that they are never happy with the status quo. They're continually looking for opportunities to be better and to achieve more and to stretch themselves further. Number four is that high-performing teams stand up really well to the scrutiny of external benchmarking. First and foremost, they actually invite comparison because they want to be the best amongst their peers. Not only that, but they select an ambitious peer group. So, for example... If an organisation is a manufacturer of aerosol cans in Western Sydney, they don't compare themselves to other manufacturers of aerosol cans within their geographical reach, but rather they want to compare themselves to the global benchmarks for manufacturers in related industries. They certainly wouldn't be comfortable boasting about being the world's tallest dwarf. The fifth characteristic is that they challenge themselves to be better first and foremost. That challenge is then transferred by osmosis to other teams they interact with. They don't sit there bitching and moaning about what other teams aren't doing, they just get on with it. And behind them, as they move forward at pace, they create a vacuum that's then filled by other teams in the organisation that haven't been performing as well. Characteristic number six, high-performing teams exude confidence because they're on their game, they're kicking goals and they're making the scoreboard tick over. And finally, number seven, high-performing teams don't make excuses and they don't avoid challenges. They actually relish them. 
Now, you might argue that toss on one or two of those characteristics, but really, it's just so that we get a clear idea in our heads of what a high-performing team looks like. And I think that really gives us a basis for comparison between those teams that are really delivering and those that aren't. But once again, we've got to be pretty honest with ourselves about what characteristics are there that we're observing and whether or not we truly have a high-performing team, because trust me, there are not that many of them around. So how would you actually create a high-performing team? Well, the very first thing that you have to do is to get the right individuals in place because high-performing teams cannot be high-performing unless each of the individuals in that team is observing and reaching a certain standard. Jim Collins, in his seminal work, Good to Great, which I'm sure many of you have read, talks about first getting the right people on the bus. And this is critical in building a high-performing team and a high-performing organisation that's going to deliver results over time. In his chapter, First Who, Then What?, Jim says this, and I quote, I don't really know where we should take this bus, but I know this much. If we get the right people on the bus, the right people in the right seats, and the wrong people off the bus, then we'll figure out how to take it someplace great. As a leader, you really have to embrace this advice. And it's extremely rare that you're going to get to build a team from scratch at any point in your career. Even if you did, though, Hiring is an imprecise art, and so you've got to be constantly vigilant to make sure that you have the right people on the bus, in the right seats, and that you don't have any of the wrong people hanging on. Many leaders actually feel constrained by what's there when they turn up in a leadership role. And there are some complexities in this, there's no doubt about it. So for example, if your promotion is the result of your boss being promoted and you still report to her, then that's the team that she built that you're now having to lead. So she may not want to hear from you that certain team members need to be changed out because they're not up to the job. This can affect her self-image as a leader and certainly won't do you any favours in your relationship with your new boss. But you can never have, nor can you claim to have a high-performing team until you're first 100% satisfied that you've actually done this work. So as a leader, if you're serious about building a high-performing team, then you've got to commit personally to doing what it takes to get the best people on board. And for some of you, this is really going to go against your grain. If we just think about episode one of the No Bullshit Leadership podcast, we spoke about respect before popularity and the need to be liked. And if you don't get this under control, it's very, very unlikely that you're going to do the hard work of building the right leadership team with the right individuals in it. But as humans, we can find a thousand ways to rationalize why we shouldn't do something that's hard. And we are all human. And I know what's going through your head because I've been there myself. So here's some of the classic rationalizations we use that prevent us from doing this work. How about everyone deserves a chance? That's a great rationalization because it's true. Everyone does deserve a chance. But only if we put it in the context of very specific standards that are set for both behaviour and performance, and that these standards have to be met within a reasonable time frame. Because in that context, you can actually give someone a chance in a disciplined way that lets them either perform or not perform, and it's their choice. There have been times when I've had to say to someone, if you work really hard on your development, you're two to three years away from the performance that I need. But unfortunately, I can't wait two to three years. I need that performance right now, and the team needs that performance right now. Here's another common rationalisation that leaders have. Who am I to play God? Who am I to play God? 
If you're a good leader, you will have a personal connection with your people. You'll be friendly, but you won't be friends. But this means you'll know some things about them personally. You'll know their kids' names. You'll know where they live. You'll know something about their financial circumstances. And then it becomes really tough. But paradoxically, this thing that makes you a better leader by knowing something about your people and being personally connected with them also makes it much more difficult to make decisions that impact their lives. Now, we'll have a future episode on whose accountability it is for performance, and that should help with this one. But just at the moment, know that this is a rationalisation that you're probably going to have to get over in your own head. Here's another one. This person has so many great qualities and they're such a great person, everyone really likes them. They're such a good fit for the team. Now, this may be true, but this has never been a criterion for leadership performance. And so whether this person has great qualities, is a really decent person, is loved by the team, doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, you've got to get results. As Steve Drotter once said to me, there's a lot of nice folk in this organization, but nice folk don't make a business perform. And remember, the number one characteristic of a high-performing team is that it gets results and it performs no matter what. Here's another rationalization that's pretty common. I can make this person better. Now, if you think about this, it's the height of arrogance. When you say you can make someone better, really? Can you? As a leader, it's your job to set the tone, the pace, and the standard for your people. And that's a very, very important role. And you can even motivate and support people to bring out the very, very best that they have. But at the end of the day, every individual chooses how they behave and perform. And we shouldn't be so arrogant as leaders as to think that we have that much impact and that much control over any other individual. And finally, the last common rationalization I want to cover is the concept that they're improving. And this is normally a sign of futility. Improvement is fine and improvement can be expected. It's a very, very rare individual and a very rare leader that you actually see breakthrough improvements in. It's the exception rather than the rule in my experience. But our tendency, and looking optimistically, is to look for the tiniest little green shoots of improvement that we can see, and then to declare victory way too early. And what normally happens is an individual will improve a little, and they'll improve under your direction fairly quickly because they realise that they have to do something different if they want to keep their jobs. But longer-term improvements that get them up to the bar that you're setting for performance standards in a high-performing team generally is very, very difficult to do. And although I know this is going to be controversial, it's always much, much easier to buy in someone who already has those characteristics and performance standards than it is to try and grow someone and drag them kicking and screaming from a substandard level of performance to something that you're going to be satisfied with and something that's worthy of the team you're trying to build. So I think we can all agree that putting the individuals in place that are going to give you a chance of building a high-performing team is not something that's easy to do. What you need to remember is that as a leader, you have to eat your own dog food. If you don't do this and create a high-performing team with the right individuals that meet the right standards of behaviour and performance, no one below you will do it. And sometimes, even when you do do it diligently, some people below you still won't do it. And to give you a hint, when you see those people, they actually need to be off the bus. It took me five years to build the right team at CS Energy. 
and four of those was just to get the right people on the bus and in the right seats. Of my five direct reports, nine of them were turned over during that time, so clearly in some roles, more than one person. Two of those nine were excellent performers who left by their own choice because they wanted to move on and grow into other organisations. But seven left because of my choice. Now, some of these seven were simply not up to the job, and I had to take the actions I took. But some were actually good people who brought their part of the organisation as far as they could. I just recognised that we needed something different if we were going to improve and to keep moving forward. And the organisation needed to keep moving forward because we certainly weren't where we needed to be. And if a leader is an okay leader, but they can't take your organisation beyond where it is now, then you have to make a hard choice about it because that is what defines the basis for a high-performing team. I also had a couple of excellent high-performing people from the layer below who acted in executive roles for lengthy periods of time. But I realised that as good as they were, they simply weren't ready to be executive general managers. And they were some tough calls I had to make as well because they were really good people who one day are going to be extremely successful at the executive level. Now, it would have been so easy for me to leave the team as it was. And some might say that team was good enough, but I knew that that wasn't the case. What I had to do was the hard work of building a high-performing team that gave the rest of the organisation the leadership it deserved. Now, it's easy in most organisations to actually avoid this work because most leaders aren't focusing on this first and foremost. They're focusing on the myriad of other things that are coming their way through the wind tunnel. And that's okay. Don't do it. It's your choice as a leader. But if you don't do the work to build a high-performing team with the right individuals, just don't kid yourself that you've built a high-performing team and don't believe your own bullshit. In most cases, if you're not actively working to achieve this and constantly driving your team performance higher and making sure that you have the right people on the bus and in the right seats, the team will by definition be average to mediocre and you're just going to have to accept that. All right, so that's the end of episode two. As a free downloadable from this episode, I've put together the seven characteristics of a high-performing team and just fleshed that out a little so that you can actually create that checklist for yourself and use it for your own organisation. If you want to download that, you can get it at yourceomentor.com forward slash episode two. Thanks very much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So if you like this episode, please share it with another leader who you think might benefit from it. I look forward to next week's episode, where we're going to talk about excellence over perfection, aka setting the groundwork for successful execution. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. <laughs>